Hello, and welcome to Down to Sally's Cove, a collection of stories about Newfoundland and Labrador by the late Ella Manuel and read by me, Anthony Berger. I'm the editor of my mother's writings about the history and rich culture of the places and people she knew and loved. Many of these stories she read on local and national radio in the 1940s to 1970s. Listening to the radio in the 1950s, Ella Manuel was reminded of childhood winter adventures on the sea ice off Lewisport. This was a story of boats and bears on ice. On the CBC last week, a reporter from Toronto went off to a frozen lake somewhere to talk about ice boating. And that reminded me of my youth, when we would ice boat on Burnt Bay off Lewisport, truly a sport for the daring. Now, our ice boats were made of three tremendous timbers laid out like a triangle, the corners bound with great iron bolts to which were attached long, thin iron skates. The back of the ice boat was the apex of the triangle, and to it was attached a sort of swivel skate. The two front skates were rigid. The rear one was attached to a tiller, the rudder, and that's how you steered. Between the two skates at the front of the boat, set firmly in the timber, was the mast, pretty near as thick as the main mast of a full rigger. The sail was attached to that, and the boom swung way back, protruding over the tiller. Now the rest of the ice boat consisted of thin planks laid from side to side, often not securely nailed on, and certainly not close together. I can remember even now, with a dizzy feeling, the sensation of lying flat on my tummy, watching the ice whirl by a few inches from my nose. In fact, raising your head was dangerous, for you never knew when the boom would swing by, and of course the only protection from wind and weather was the mountain of clothes you wore. When I was a child, the harbor would freeze around the middle of December and stay frozen until maybe May. Not very often would it snow enough to hold up the lumbering ice boats, and when it did, chances were the wind would blow it off in a few days. Two of my father's friends, both of them with daughters my age, also had ice boats, and we used to have races. One I remember because I got the fright of my life. It was on a sunny day with a gale of wind. The harbor was about two miles across at its widest and about a mile and a half long. This time it was glassy ice with nasty long rifts in it. We were bowling along, my father at the tiller and me flat on my tummy, when suddenly our rear skate caught in a crack. The ice boat heeled over and stopped. The masthead hit the ice and so did I, but I didn't stop. I just went sailing along the ice at a terrific rate, absolutely terrified. I sailed right across the bows of another ice boat and kept on going. When finally my speed diminished, I just sat on the ice and howled. Father extricated himself, left the boat upended, and came slithering across the ice toward me, and the other ice boat went sailing on past us. I thought about ice boats for a long time, and one day I came up with a scheme which my best friend thought worth trying. Now we each had a coaster sled. You know the kind, about 12 inches off the ground with a movable piece of wood across the front for steering. On a very windy afternoon, we slunk out in the shadow of the wharf so nobody could see us, and when we got out of shelter, out in the full wind blowing clear across the harbor, we knelt upright on the bitter end of the sleds, 
held on to the ropes, and glory be, the wind blew us at a very high speed, clear across the two miles of ice. It was a tremendous sensation. Well, you can imagine what happened to us then. It was now dusk. We were across the bay, where there were no houses or habitation, and two miles of glittering ice between us and home, with the wind blowing straight in our faces. It didn't take us long to discover we couldn't walk back into the wind. We'd have to tack, we told each other. I guess we'd have been tacking back and forth until spring breakup had not a woodsman with a load of logs on his sled and a horse not much bigger than us girls came along on his way home. We wouldn't tell him how we got where we were, and he threatened not to take us home unless we did. So we tied our sleds to the back of his load when he wasn't looking. The woodsman was so busy guiding his load across the ice that he paid no attention until we reached the safety of the other side, unhitched our sleds, and towed them home. When we told our parents where we'd been, of course they weren't very pleased. But whenever I see ice boats skating along in the wind, those lovely memories come flooding back. And that reminds me of another story of adventure on the ice. This one involved Nancy, one of my school chums, who lived in a big drafty house on the bay shore. Her father was a policeman with the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary. Now I have to tell you, because I don't suppose anyone remembers much about outport policemen in those days. They were very important, right up there with the minister and the doctor they were, and they always had to be spick and span. My, the uniforms! Black serge pants with braids down the seams, tunic jacket with a high collar fastened with silver hooks, at least they shone like silver, and with a row of black buttons with crests on them. There was a wide leather belt that had a fancy buckle to go with the tunic. For outside, they had long black overcoats with a double row of buttons and a wide skirt, and they had black fur hats that I think were called Cossack hats. In an outfit like that, a big policeman could scare the daylights out of anyone doing wrong. But now to get back to Nancy's story. A day or so after it happened, this is what she told me. It was a lovely sunny day towards the end of March, with just a little bit of breeze, when Father said to me, Nancy, I want you to go across to Arbor to see if Mr. Barber's done of mending me boots. You know as I can't go to church tomorrow in these old scuff ones. Well, I was delighted to go, better than staying in the house and helping with the cleaning up. And besides, I never said no to anything my father asked me to do. I knew he couldn't go to church next day without shiny boots you could see your face in. So I got out my skin boots with two pair of vamps inside. Mother made me put on a sweater under my jacket and tied a scarf over my wool cap and off I went warm as toast. The harbor was still frozen over so I could walk across the ice, something I loved to do. It was very slippery, but the breeze was at my back, so I opened my jacket and held it out like a sail, and away I went sliding along like the wind. Of course, I had to remember to flap my jacket right quick tight around me when I came to a snowy spot, else I'd go flat on my face, and that hurt. So I had a wonderful passage, running and sliding and hopping and singing. In no time at all, I was across the harbor and climbing over the ballycatters on the beach in front of Mr. Barber's house, and that was hard going, what with the slippery bottoms of my boots and me being a bit tired. So I was hot and out of breath when I got into his work shed. He looked surprised to see me. 
Oh, dear, I wasn't expecting you today, he said. But never mind, I only have a few sparbles to put in this tap and I'll be done. And he told me to go into the kitchen and get warm, even though I was already roasted. Mrs. Barber gave me a cup of hot tea and some molasses buns, and we had a good yarn. She said she wished she was young like me and could go sliding across the harbor, but in the winter she was stuck, being afraid she would fall and break a limb. She missed her friends visiting, too, and I guess that's why she asked me so many questions about people my side of the bay. We went on talking until Mr. Barber came in with father's boots wrapped in a big bag with a long piece of string attached. There now, done, he said, handing them to me. I sees you got some good lassie buns, and they'll keep your belly full till he gets home. And now you better go, because I believe there's a wind coming, maybe some snow. Well, Mrs. Barber helped me to get on my outside clothes and tied the tapes of my skin boots around my knees to keep them snug and then she wrapped my scarf tight and pulled it up around my mouth so I could hardly breathe. I thought she was awful fussy. Mr. Barber opened the back door for me and said, Better hurry now. The wind is veering round to the westward right fast, and you'll have it on your starboard side all across. I said it wouldn't take me long to get home. Little did I know. First going off, it wasn't bad. True, the wind was side on and it blew me about a bit, so I decided to go out the harbour a ways and sort of tack back instead of going in a straight line, like you do when you're sailing. I struggled along and then my feet began to feel wet. I thought it must be the wet snow that was now falling fast and thick. In fact, it was coming down so fast that I couldn't see the shore on the other side, and then for a minute or two I felt like I was wobbling. One foot would go down further than the other, and it seemed to me the wind was blowing harder. I got very tired and said to myself that if someone didn't come soon and get me, I'd be gone. I was falling down, getting up, falling down, and all the time holding on to father's boots for dear life. I laugh now when I think of it, scared to death but hugging his boots. Well, I'll never forget how tired I felt, as if I'd walked for miles. I was longing to sit down and have a spell, but I was too frightened. On top of it all, there came this strange noise behind me, something like a deep growl, twice. I thought it must be a bear, although I should have known better. A bear on the ice in winter when he's supposed to be in his den? But I was properly terrified. I began to call out, I, I don't know who to but I hoped someone would be handy enough to hear me. I yelled and yelled, and when I stopped for breath, I heard my father shouting. How glad I was! I remember to this very minute. He was shouting in his big voice, Nancy, Nancy, where are you? Well, I thought I must be home already, but I couldn't see a thing before, behind, nor to the side of me. It was like being blind, but I called out to him, Here I am, and I'm all right, but I can't see you. He told me to keep on calling and he would find me, so I kept yelling till I was hoarse, and finally I could see him a foot away from me, big and tall and comforting. He grabbed my arm and began dragging me and saying, Come on, hurry! And I kept saying he had to wait because I was dropping the boots again. By this time I was crying. Father said, Here, give me the boots and don't let go of my hand. Han, hurry! He dragged me so fast I could hardly keep on my feet, and then he stopped and looked around, and I got a bit of breath. What's the rush? I asked him. I want a spell. But all he said was, Nancy, will you please hurry? 
The growl came again. I asked him, what's that noise? Nodding, nodding, he told me. Only don't look behind. Don't look. He told me to give him the end of my scarf and tie the other end around my waist. Well, it was a good thing the scarf was long and knit from the good, strong homespun, because my father went rushing along, hauling me behind him. I fell down. My stockings were torn and my boots were falling around my ankles. I knew my knees were bleeding, and how cold were my hands. I thought they were frozen right off, and father wouldn't stop. Finally, we came to the head of the government wharf, and I could see it now that the snow was letting up a bit. Father stopped dragging me, and someone came out from the land wash and picked me up and carried me into our kitchen. Mother didn't say a word, just helped me off with my clothes and bathed my knees and cried. The next thing I knew, I woke up on our kitchen settle, and was I ever stiff. You know how it is when you fall asleep in the daytime, when you wake up, you can't figure out where you are or what time of day it is. All I knew was I was there and stiff. And suddenly it all came back, and, and I called out, Father, what happened to the bear that was chasing us? Bear? Father said, puzzled. Yes, the noise. Ah, oh, that wasn't a bear. Oh, no, Nancy, not a bear. Come here and see this. He was standing at the kitchen window, looking across the harbor, and Mother was beside him, holding his arm. I looked. Well, the whole harbor was wide open, not even a pan of ice in sight, just the dark blue water full of whitecaps. I couldn't believe my eyes. Father put his arm around my shoulder. Nancy, how much I wanted to pick you up and carry you, you know, but I was afraid to do that because we'd have all the weight in one place. And all the time we were coming across, the ice was breaking up behind us, and that's what the growling was about. we just made it. Another fifteen minutes, and I don't know. I was afraid to ask almost, but finally I did. We nearly got drowned, didn't we? Yes said father. I guess we were just lucky. But who'd have thought the wind would come up so strong when you left home this morning? Still, I got to say this. I never saw anyone, not man, nor woman, nor child. I never saw anyone braver than you were, and I'm some proud of you. Of course, that was worth almost getting drowned for, and it made up for all the fright and cold and bruises. I was brave. My father said so and we were both alive. And now, fifty years after Nancy told me this story, I can remember every detail. I can tell you I still love to tell it, especially when people's eyes nearly pop out of their heads, like yours, when I was telling it to you. That was me, Anthony Berger, reading a story by the late Ella Manuel from the podcast series Down to Sally's Cove. This was recorded in the studios of VOBB, the Voice of Bombay, community radio in the heart of Grossmore National Park in western Newfoundland. Recording engineer and sound editor was Gary Wilton. Background music from Coffee in the Cove, written and played by David Berger. Together with a biography of my mother, these and other stories are available in book form entitled No Place for a Woman, The Life and Newfoundland Stories of El Emanuel, published in 2020 by Breakwater Books, St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador. Thanks for listening.
This is the last episode of Season 6, Ghosts and Dirty Tricks. Tune in next week to the final podcast where El Emanuel recalls Sparbles, Savaloys, and Scroopy Boots. Thank you.